Pitt football has hit a new low, losing to Virginia Tech 38-21. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of Football Unscripted right here on the Pitt Talk Network. I am your host, Corey Cohen, and I am thrilled for this episode to be joined by, you know him from 93.7 The Fan, you know him as a studio host for Pitt football and Pitt men's basketball, you know him for WPXI's Final Word. The man, Kale Berger, is here. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Kale. Corey, what's up, man? Thanks for having me. Absolutely thrilled to have you. It's been a while. I think uh, last time we were playing FIFA on Xbox Live. This time, yeah. not quite as enjoyable for us <laughs> having to talk about this pit football team. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, it has been a while, though. But uh, yeah, man, uh, it has not been a pleasant last couple of weeks. If you're a pit fan or certainly... Uh, a pit broadcaster either there's been some uh, tough results recently and uh look forward to to doing a deep dive into it with you here tonight yeah because th- this is atrocious and you were talking about it at you know on the broadcast on either 937 the fan or wherever people listen if they're not in pittsburgh if they're listening on sirius or wherever on the panthers radio network and they were hearing you talk about it uh during the game and then it it, it just kept going it it was horrible so there are so many bad things about this team and the state of state of things right now. Let's start with the most glaring one, the most obvious one, the most important position in sports, the quarterback. Phil Jerkovic has now played five games and the, the jury is in. He's not a good quarterback. He's not the guy who should be leading this program. It seems clear to everyone but somehow it still hasn't been made clear to Pat Narduzzi that you just cannot win football games, at least against FBS opponents, with Phil Jerkovic as your quarterback. We'll talk about details in just a second, but in your mind, Kent, what on earth is the justification for sticking with Phil Jerkovic after all this time? Yeah, well, look, I mean, there was obviously a lot of excitement when Phil Jerkovic announced he was going to transfer in from Boston College, the familiarity with Frank Signetti. Being a hometown local guy as well, um, you know, that was, of course, a lot of reason why people were optimistic about this. And, and we'd even seen, you know, Phil Dracovic be pretty good at Boston College. He beat Pitt once when he was at Boston College. So there was like, some excitement there, especially after when we looked last year. Um, people thought that the Panthers could do better at quarterback after the Keaton Slovis experiment. And, of course, you know, through five games or so, it has certainly not been what everyone was hoping for or was expecting uh, from the passing game. Uh, now. We'll say this. Panarduzzi is obviously a very loyal guy. He has always been loyal to his players, and he's done that and shown that with a number of positions. I mean, he's done it with Chris Blewett. He's done it with, you know, even Kenny Pickett at times. I mean, yeah. he is a loyal, loyal guy, and I think that is one of Pat Narduzzi's strengths. Um, and also the thing you have to take into account, too, and this is always kind of one of those uh, cliches in sports, but, you know, the most popular player in town is always the backup quarterback, right? <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, I'm with the next guy, the next guy. Well, I think we need to take into account, and we did see a little bit of Christian Veyer last week against North Carolina, um, that you know maybe Phil Dracovic is just the best option right now. And I know that that is, based on what we've seen, I, I mean, is probably not what Panther fans want to hear. But maybe that says something about how Pat Narduzzi thinks about the other guys on the roster. And we've seen Nate Yarnell win a football game against Western Michigan last year. So we haven't even talked about Nate Yarnell, but we've seen Christian Veyer too, and, and there were three turnovers in that game against North Carolina. I think right now he thinks that Phil Dracovic gives him the best chance to win. Unfortunately, the Panthers have not won 
four games in a row here. So they're in a very difficult spot, but you know, everyone's excited about the backup quarterback, but I think right now he looks at, well, this is the best option out of the options that I have. And unfortunately the Panthers are one and four right now, regardless. Yeah. I'm in full agreement that that is Pat Narduzzi's justification because I mean, he said that, and I actually believe him that he believes that Phil Jakovic gives them the best chance to win. The bitter irony of it is, he hasn't won outside of an FCS opponent in Wofford. The man hasn't won a game. So if you're saying he gives us the best chance to win and you can't win with him, well, then I don't know what that says about him. I also don't know what it says about the backup quarterbacks. As you said, we've seen a bit of Yarnell. We've seen a bit of Vayer. We don't know exactly. But if it's clear that you're not winning with Phil Jerkovic, I don't understand the reasoning exactly why you wouldn't give a chance to someone who at least has some upside, at least has some more years where they could grow into a better quarterback. Because yeah. that's the other thing. Phil Jerkovic, this is it. There's nowhere for him to go. Vayer, ideally, could be the quarterback that starts next year, or even Yarnell, or someone. They could at least grow out there. With Jerkovic, it just feels like they're spinning their wheels. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, is we are coming up to the bye week now. And, and maybe if Pat Narduzzi was considering for a while here to potentially make a move, Maybe he wants to wait until he has two full weeks to prepare that next guy, you know, give them the first team reps, that kind of stuff. Maybe to this point it has been, we're going to ride with Phil and hopefully this gets figured out. I don't think anyone anticipated that they would go on this four game losing streak here and then find themselves in this position going into the bye. Uh, but now this is the reality. So that that could be a changing of philosophy from Pat Narduzzi that now he's going to think, okay, well, you know, let's reassess things. I mean, he talked about that in the post game last night that they need to reassess where they're at offensively and figure some things out. Um, that's pretty obvious that they need to do that as a team. <laughs> Maybe quarterback uh, is included in that discussion, and he's going to take this week and the next week as well, heading into Louisville, a very good five and zero football team, to make that determination of or prepare the next guy that they determine if they're going to make a switch of quarterback. Yeah, because. I actually, on this very podcast a week ago, I was of the belief that Phil Jerkovic actually probably did give the team the best chance to win against Virginia Tech because of what we saw from him in the first half against North Carolina, where he was decent. And obviously, we did see Christian Bayer in the second half and very end of the first half of that game, and yeah. he didn't look particularly special. So I thought, okay, I can actually see the argument Narduzzi's making Maybe he is the guy that at least in a winnable game like Virginia Tech, you go with him, he's not going to make mistakes, and you try to eke out a win where you can. But it quickly became very clear in the midst of this Virginia Tech game that he was not playing like he did in the first half against North Carolina. He did have the one good play, the bomb to Bub means down the field for the touchdown. Great throw. Great throw. I yep. will give him that. But after that, there was nothing else that made it seem like this is a team that can score two more touchdowns. When Virginia Tech went up, I think it was 21 to seven, and it became clear, okay, this Pitt team now needs two more touchdowns just to tie it. And that, with the way that Phil Dracovic was playing, that felt insurmountable. And to me, that somewhere later in the first half or at halftime was when, if I were the coach, I'd say, you make a change there. I understand maybe you want the, the extra bye week for preparation, yeah. Although Bayer did just play last week coming in, making the switch right around halftime. So it's been done before by necessity in that case. But I just, again, I thought that this was the case for the Cincinnati game. I thought for the West Virginia game and now for this game, 
that at least at halftime, it was clear Jerkovic didn't have it. And I would have loved to see him make a change. It was so frustrating, even in the, the dying moments of the game when it was over, that they don't at least put someone else out there, either Yarnell or, or Veyer, just to try something. When the game was already over, yeah. he still stuck with Jerkovic. Yeah, I understand that sentiment. And especially I, I see a lot of Pitt fans on social media or that I talk to here in Pittsburgh about that. And, and there's frustration, and I understand that, especially – how good they've been recently. I mean, we're two years removed from a quarterback that was in New York city for the Heisman trophy. So there's kind of been a new expectation that's been set. And certainly the passing game and the quarterback to this point, haven't lived up to that. Uh, you know, when I look at Phil, um, I, I think that, yeah, that, that throw to above memes was uh, a great, great throw and the best throw we've seen by far to this point. Um, but I think if we look at the season as a whole with Phil, um, I just don't know that we're seeing uh, the guy that we saw locally here at Pine Richland or even the guy at some points we saw at Boston College, whether that's mechanically, um, whether that's just the way he's you know, surveying the field or his place in this offense. Um, it's kind of, I haven't really got an answer to that yet, but I, I know that mechanically, at least, there's a lot of instances where there's, you know, they say to take the easy ones or to take the layups. You have to get those at the bare minimum in football so that you can get some of the bigger plays. And, and some of those layups, those easier plays that are there, that are drawn up, the Panthers just aren't capitalizing on those. And that's either because the throw is offline or the the, the, the pass rush is getting to him too quickly. Um, that's, I think, the basis or the, the bare minimum of where this offense isn't clicking is some of those layups, they're not taking advantage of them. And that just makes everything else harder and harder. Uh, you're off schedule, you're behind the chains. And with Phil, that's one of the big things is, you know, there's a guy in the flat and he's rolling to his right and he just can't get it to him and he throws it at the guy's feet. Some of those layups are not being taken advantage of. And that's the most concerning thing. And you wonder, uh, is it uh, a holdover from some of his injuries he suffered at Boston College last year and prior? Is it something he's changed with his mechanics or something? Who really knows? And we probably won't get those answers. Um, but to say the least, it, it has not been what Panther fans expected. Absolutely. And some of it, you just wonder, is it the yips? Because as you said, these are like three yard passes that he's not getting. It reminds you of a pitcher when they all of a sudden can't throw it to first. Yeah. And there's just something in there that for whatever reason, they just don't have it anymore. And to me, it, it's clear that Phil Jerkovic just doesn't have it anymore. Here are a couple stats. This is the third time in the four FBS games that they've played that Phil Jerkovic had completed less than five passes by halftime less than five completions by halftime in those three games. So those are the West Virginia, Cincinnati, and now Virginia tech games. He went 10 for 33. Just, just, that's just a horrible stat prior to the final drive of the game that took place in the last few minutes in garbage time. Phil Jerkovic had a grand total of five completions. He had in the course of the game, he lost 44 yards from getting sacked. Now, obviously, that's not just him. That's the offensive line, which has a ton of problems as well. But he is clearly struggling in terms of feeling the pressure, knowing when to get rid of it, when to to either scramble or throw it to someone or whatever. He's clearly struggling in that aspect. There were three delay of game penalties. Again, not entirely on him, but just clearly a mess. And there was at least one more timeout burned to prevent a delay of game penalty. So this offense clearly is just lacking that leadership and that awareness that prevents that from happening. His completed passes are so often not difficult ones. The Bub means one excluded. Most of the completed passes are 
the ones like we saw to Sebo Flemister, where he'll dish it out for a couple yards and then let the receiver do the work. But it's not like the passes are anything incredible. His total completion rate against FBS teams, so not counting Wofford, is 44.9%. And again, so many of those are these simple, the layups, the checkdowns, these these light passes. Reading the progressions hasn't been good. There's just not a single thing outside of one or two passes here or there that you can look and say, this guy's a good quarterback. This guy has promise to be a starting quarterback, even just for the rest of the season. There are so many ways, both in this game and so far this season, that it is just broken from top to bottom. I I don't understand how with all these different issues in multiple facets that they can keep trotting him out there for everyone's sake. Well, I think the, the key word to what you say there is top to bottom. And I think we need to remember with Phil Dracovic that, uh, yes, the quarterback gets all the blame. The quarterback gets all the praise as well. But it's not just him against one on 11 against the defense. And there are larger, uh, larger scale issues with this offense that are affecting Phil Dracovic's play or sometimes are a result of Phil Dracovic's play or just larger overarching things in this offense that are not working. I mean, a Frank Signetti offense, as we've seen in his long, long career, is predicated on running the football. They have not done a good job of that running the football. Yep. The passing game is contingent on play action off of that. When you can't run the football, you can't effectively run that play action. Uh, the offensive line has had like four different combinations in five games here. Matt Gonzalez and all ACC uh, you know, preseason tackle it has missed two games here now. And so they've had a lot of shifting uh, rotations of guys or lineups up there up front, and he's been under a ton of pressure too. So, yeah, while, while Phil at times has not held up his end of the bargain, uh, he has taken a lot of hits. Pat Narduzzi continues to say that and in his post-game press conferences, and he's right. I mean, he has been hit a lot. He's been under pressure a lot, and they haven't exactly uh, been able to establish that run game in any game so far, even against Virginia Tech, who's came in ranked 122nd in the country, you know, second worst in the ACC. Teams were gashing them. I mean, Rutgers ran for 250 on them. And when you look at the receivers, too, in the passing game, I mean, they, we all think that they, that – Gavin Bartholomew could get involved more, but it's not like there's a lot of plays being made outside either in guys running open. Maybe that's by scheme and design is just not what it needs to be from a a play calling or, or scheme standpoint, or or maybe it's just the individual performance of those outside wideouts as well. So yeah, as much as Phil Dracovic uh, needs to play better and and hasn't played up to the expectation. A lot of people had um, there are larger issues that plague this entire offense that, you know, when you put all those puzzle pieces together uh, are explaining why the Panthers aren't scoring or, or holding the ball or doing any of the things that an offense needs to do. Absolutely. It is by far, by no means is this just about Phil Jerkovic. There are so many problems and we'll talk about the defense in a little bit as well, but just looking at the offense that are in every facet, including one thing you can't help the offensive line, which was a little bit shaky to start, even in the Wofford game. And then yeah. it's just been injury after injury. And there's only so much you can do when it comes to the offensive line. And they have not really put him in a great position to succeed. So it's certainly not on Phil Jerkovic entirely. I think the main frustration is that knowing what you know, knowing what you've seen, Phil Jerkovic isn't helping this team it can't really get much worse. So at that point, 
my argument would be why not make a change? Because even with all those problems and unless you're just putting him out there because you know, the offensive line isn't going to do anything uh, going to be able to protect and you just don't want something bad to happen to Vay or, or Yarnell. But I don't think they're thinking that way. I honestly think that, as you said at the top, he believes that Phil Dracovic gives the team the best chance to win. And another thing you said early is you at least then have to have the easy ones. I'm not faulting Phil Dracovic for some of the sacks. There's not much he can do. And some of the more difficult plays, I get that. But just those small things, the fact that he can't complete those, that's where it's really killing this team. Because even just a replacement level quarterback, we all talked about Keaton Slovis last year, that he wasn't very good. And he did have some struggles last year, but he did at least do some of the base level things. And that got pit to nine wins at the end of the year, eight of which, well, seven of which courtesy of him, he didn't play Western Michigan. And then of course the bowl game. And I just have to think that with say Keaton Slovis on this team right now, the Panthers would be four and one. And so as, as many problems as there are, and we're about to get into them and we'll go into a whole thing on Frank Signetti and his offense. I just think there's, there's one variable that could be changed. You have replacements and even though the other things are more systemic, a change is right there. I don't know that it's going to be better, but it really can't get much worse. And, and, and like I said earlier, I mean, I, I think that that's something that we might see shake out here over the bye week. I mean, they are going to do the deep dive. They are going to uh, pull this whole offense apart and put it back together and figure out what they can do to get things right. That is the the charge for Frank Signetti and the offensive staff. That is their number one task on their to-do list over the next uh, two weeks, week and a half, or at least this week off is to make those determinations. You know, do they need to shuffle this here? Do they need to make a quarterback change? Do they need to change the approach of what they're doing schematically or in terms of uh, play calling? That's all going to be flushed out here because they are certainly at a crossroads here where we haven't seen a, a pit team in this position, frankly, at least under Pat Narduzzi's tenure, but in a long time where they need to go back to the drawing board midseason and, and figure some things out. Um, but I do think that is what we are going to see come to fruition this week here. And hey, the bye week comes at the perfect time for them to do that. A four game losing streak here to to hopefully figure some of those things out and then exercise some of those demons against Louisville. It really does come at a perfect time, although you could have made the case that they desperately needed it after the Cincinnati game, after the West Virginia game, after the North Carolina game, after every week. After Wofford. Just after to get Wofford. Ready. Yeah. yeah, you're like, okay, this yeah. team clearly needs a tune-up. They need to. They need some time to make changes. They just haven't happened. We'll see if it happens. Let's talk about Frank Signetti because, as you said, he's brought in. He's a run guy. They haven't been able to run the ball. The quarterback in this system, it's been – completely inept and that has been across i mean keaton slovis all things considered was actually pretty good certainly in comparison to what things have been this year but everything that we've seen so far from phil Dracovic and from christian veyer it's been bad in this game specifically there were a total of nine first downs and the entire game nine first downs at least a couple of them came on that final drive in garbage time there were multiple false start penalties that moved the team back. Mentioned the delay of games already. When this team was down multiple touchdowns in the second half, late in the game, they were still running the ball up the middle. I don't, they 
at no point this season have they seemed to be aware of the sense of urgency when this team is playing from behind. Gavin Bartholomew and Kanate Mumfield both seem incredibly talented. When they get the ball, good things happen. They were targeted seven times in this game between the two of them. Combined, Bartholomew and Mumfield, seven targets. They caught all of the seven targets for a total of 99 yards. So, I don't know. Maybe when you throw it to Bartholomew and Mumfield, something good happens. And yet, they can't seem to get it to them. Now, again, I don't know. Is that the play calling? Is that the offensive line not giving Dracovic time? Is that Dracovic's arm? It's a whole range, but ultimately it comes down on the offensive coordinator, Frank Signetti. And you look at all of these problems in the four FBS games they played. They have a total of seven offensive touchdowns, seven in four games. Nothing about this offense is good. And as I said, a lot of the problems that you look at Phil Dracovic, ultimately the man who seems to empower him is Frank Signetti. He's the one out there calling the plays. He's the one who has carte blanche when it comes to the offense, according to Pat Narduzzi. Narduzzi said a couple weeks ago that he focuses, I think, 80% of his time on the defense, and he just listens to Frank Signetti. He trusts him. Well, that trust is broken, or something's broken, because if he's listening to Frank Signetti and this offense is playing the way it is, something's wrong, because nothing about this offense is working. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the times at the late point of games where they don't seem to notice or have the sense of urgency or understand the situation. I kind of noticed that last, uh, obviously we're talking here on Sunday night. I noticed that on Saturday night um, that especially late in the game, I mean, the, the progression of deciding the play call, getting the play call relayed into Phil Dracovic to him, giving that to the offense, to them getting out there. It was all just a delayed, slow process. And, at, there were times late in the game where, yeah, like you said, they're burning timeouts and 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 they're and they're not getting up to the line quick enough where checks can be made, audibles can be made, uh, even Phil just kind of kind of read the defense. So something in that chain of command needs to be, uh, I guess, figured out th- this coming week here. And that's another thing to to address here coming up on the buy is is how can we streamline this to make sure that that is easier. But, you know, like I said, with, with the offense, it, it all starts running the football and and they have not done that well enough. And we looked last year at this team. I mean, obviously, they were incredibly lucky to have Israel Abanacanda. I mean, Izzy was so, so good. They had 10 100 yard rushing performances last year from ind- individual backs. Rodney Hammond had one of those, but nine came from Izzy. They haven't had a 100 yard individual rushing performance since the Miami game last year that, that Izzy had. They haven't had one yet this year. They have like 42 of them under Pat Narduzzi. So they haven't had one guy kind of pop off, or that's probably a discussion of the larger run game as a whole because they're using Rodney Hammond Jr. They're using Sebo Flemister. They're using Daniel Carter. And those guys haven't popped off yet. And, you know, that's been kind of what determined success for the Panthers under Pat Narduzzi. They're 28 and 10 when they have a 100-yard rusher. And they haven't had that yet. You know, and I think a lot of that is offensive line. Um, so that, that is an issue that certainly would allow everything to be streamlined a little bit more, but you know, when it comes to Kanate Mumfield and Gavin Bartholomew, I mean, this is something that we even talk about here in Pittsburgh with the Steelers. It's, it's finding ways to scheme up opportunities for your best players to, to get them in space or to get them in advantageous situations, to get them the ball so that they can make plays. And that is something that Frank Signetti and this offense, I think needs to find a way to do a better job of here on the final seven games of the season. And it's interesting because. Tight ends have played really well and had very good stats under Frank Signetti's tutelage. 
Doran Dickerson's the big one. My colleague at the fan was an All-American under Frank Signetti. Uh, you had Hunter Long at Boston College, who was a very, very good tight end there. And we haven't seen that same effect here in Gavin Bartholomew. Once again, hard to explain why or to put a pin on why that is, but it's just kind of been the case. So that's another one of these surprising things. And Kanate Mumfield has done a nice job when he gets the football in his hands, uh, like you said, so far this season. But it's about putting your players in the most advantageous situations, sequencing plays, and finding a way to use a defensive tendencies against them. Virginia Tech was awful against the run, and Pitt just had no success running the football against them. You look, actually, they could learn something, I think, from Virginia Tech's offense. They put Kyron Drones in just great positions to make plays. They used that aggressive Pitt front seven against them. They threw screen passes. Uh, they ran the quarterback run stuff with him. They got the ball into Tootin's hands, the running back, uh, out in space. They had a perfect scheme set up to attack Pitt. And we need to find a way for Pitt to be doing the same thing to other teams. So far, it's kind of been a situation where it's, all right, this is our offense. This is our game plan. We're going to do the same thing every week. And that hasn't reaped the benefits they were hoping for. You need to get to a point, and this goes for all football, where you're an offensive coordinator, where you are identifying weaknesses, exploiting weaknesses, and using that to lead you to success. Completely agree. And you mentioned that, Things were slow. You've noticed they're slow. I've noticed everything about this offensive slow. As you said, the play calls, the delay of game penalties, Phil's progression is slow when he's trying to find a receiver, his ability to understand the pressure in terms of taking sacks. That's slow. Everything about this offense is slow. The only thing that's ever fast or ahead of time are the false start penalties when someone on the offensive line jumps early. It really is just from top to bottom, the offense is a mess. And another thing you were talking about with these individual players that I think is an indictment on Frank Signetti is that these players are so much more talented than they have shown this season. We know that from what they've done in some cases at Pitt, whether it was last season, years before, we know that from what they've done at other schools. We know that just from the eye test. We know that these guys have talent. This is not a team that doesn't have talent. So much of this offense, besides quarterback and in a couple positions now because of injury, offensive line, so much of this team is the team that last year won nine games. This team has the talent to succeed. It just, it seems like every single person has regressed this season. And it really comes down to the offensive coordinator and the offense he's running with this quarterback and everything else we know Rodney Hammond is talented maybe not as incredible a running back as Israel Banacanda was but we know that he's talented we saw it last year we've even seen it this year at points and they just haven't been able to get things going partially because of the offensive line we know Kanate Mumfield is talented we've seen it with our own eyes on the field for Pitt obviously we saw it at his previous school Akron we know Bub Means has talent Everyone in the world knows Gavin Bartholomew's talented, and yet none of these guys are getting involved. As you said, for a tight end, it's not even that hard to get them involved. Wide receiver, I can understand if you've got a quarterback who can't throw the ball 20 yards, except for once in a blue moon, when he has a, a great throw to Bub Means. Yeah. But I understand that's difficult to get them involved. But a tight end, the whole thing is that you just get it to them 10 yards down the field and they find an opening and, and push their way. That should be the, those, those should be the exact kind of play calls that Frank Signetti is drawing up. If he is stuck, you could say stuck. If 
he sort of made the decision himself, it seems. But if he's stuck with a quarterback who has a limited skill set, those are the kinds of things you do to at least get an offense going. We saw it the first drive against North Carolina and a, a couple drives against North Carolina. There is a way to do this, even if you're playing Phil Jerkovic and they still aren't doing it. And because of that, because of all the other players that seem to be regressing, to me, it just has to come down to Frank Signetti failing at his job of being an offensive coordinator in, again, every single aspect of what the job entails. Well, I think if there's one thing that was encouraging about this Virginia Tech game, and I know it's tough to pinpoint if there is anything positive to take away from that loss, they got two big plays. We keep mentioning the Bub Means throw. That was a great big play. There was a response right after Virginia Tech drove right down the field an 11-play drive, and they were able to make a big throw and score quickly. They also got the one to see Bo Flemister. That is something that this offense hadn't shown through the first couple of weeks, and they finally got some big plays, like big splash plays over 50 yards. That's awesome. That's one half of the equation for an offense. You also need to show the ability to possess the football. Long, extended drives, keep your defense off the field, uh, wear out the opposing defense, churn clock, possess the football. And that's not something that they have shown consistently to the point this year. You know, that was something in, in the last couple of seasons that has been such a hallmark of Pitt is, I guess you could call it like, there's different names for it. Some people call it like the eight minute drill or the six minute drill. Yeah. It's the end of games where, and Virginia tech did it to Pitt on Saturday, where it's the end of the game, you have a lead and you are just churning, churning clock. You're taking your sweet time. You're running the football twice. And then you're throwing a short pass play to convert. And you were just running through clock methodically moving down the field and putting the game away. You can also do that in the early portions of games too. And, you know, keep your defense fresh and wear out the opponent. They haven't shown that ability to do that consistently. And I think that, yeah, as exciting as it is to see some big plays happen, to score quickly, you need that. You need some opportunities where it's easy for you. You need that ability in your offense where you can just score quickly. Um, but you also need to be able to do it the hard way, the old-fashioned way. And they have not shown that ability, that capability so far this season where they can go on an extended 10-play drive and finish that with a touchdown in the end zone. Um but I think a big part of that is, you know, maybe that they do need to simplify things a little bit. I think against North Carolina early on, they simplify the offense. And maybe that's why they were able to hit some of those quick hitters, the layups, as we talked about, uh, just to get Phil in a rhythm, to get the run game in a rhythm. You know, that's a delicate balance of getting our running game going early, but also getting a quarterback going early. And great offensive coordinators are able to balance those two. And they haven't exactly found that perfect formula to do both the start of game so far this season. Right. And the rushing, as you said, just putting games away. We've seen teams on one drive get a first down six, seven times, just moving the chains slowly but surely. As I said, in this Virginia Tech game, Pitt had nine first downs in the entirety of the game. It's it's just the exact opposite of what this Pitt offense should look like in Pat Narduzzi's ideal world where they're just slowly moving up the field constantly and holding onto the ball. I understand why Pat Narduzzi wants an offensive coordinator who's a run first guy. I understand why he wants that to be an offensive strength. But if that's not the strength and the quarterback isn't there, then why do you still have this man as your offensive coordinator? If the thing that you bring him in to do isn't working, then it's clear that nothing's working. And the entire experiment, the homecoming for Frank Signetti, isn't working. I we 
it's not unheard of that an offensive coordinator is fired midseason. In fact, we just saw it this weekend. Indiana fired their offensive coordinator. I don't expect that it's going to happen. One, because as you said, Pat Narduzzi is a loyal guy. Two, because it's not like there's a ton of options to replace him with. Generally, you just pick someone else from the staff, and the entirety of the offensive staff has not looked very good outside of maybe Tim Salem, the tight ends coach, since Pat Narduzzi got hired. So there's not an obvious midseason replacement. But uh, if there were ever a case to be made for a midseason changing of the guard at offensive coordinator, this has to be it. And if you're not going to fire him now, I think, number one, you completely have to, as you said, tear down the offense and start from scratch. And two, I don't see any way that Frank Signetti is back next year as the offensive coordinator. This is going to be one of the worst seasons, probably the worst season for Pitt this century, largely because of the offense. You cannot just run it back. Well, I'll say this. I won't comment specifically on, you know, yeah, jobs of stuff, given my role in the broadcast team. But I, I will say this. We talked about the the bye week coming at the right time. And Pat Arduzzi and this whole staff, they're going to – use this opportunity to, to figure this stuff out. And, and who knows what happens down the road once the end of the season comes. Um, it doesn't look like right now that a, a bowl game is in the future, everything right like that. So, you know, come into November, Pitt will already be working on 2024 and beyond to figure out what their next situation is going to be offensively. Who knows if that's with Frank Signetti or, or someone else. But uh, this is the chance to throw caution to the wind offensively. Yeah. I mean, uncork it let it loose, try some different things, go outside your comfort zone. Cause what they entered the season wanting to do hasn't really worked to this point. So now you can install some new stuff, reassess and overhaul the thing halfway through the season. If you want in terms of the scheme, in terms of stuff they're trying to do offensively, because now it's like throw caution to the wind. I mean, what do you got to lose? <laughs> There's is, nothing is to the lose. Mindset. Yeah, what do you got to lose at this point? And and hopefully that ends up being something that uh, turns into something that works in the Panthers' favor, that they unlock something, that they open things up, and that frees up some guys to make plays or something. But, yeah, I mean, this is that opportunity in the season where you now need to decide, are we going to stick with what we know, or are we going to try something else and see what if that can be the answer? And that's, I think, what they'll figure out down on the south side over the next two weeks here. And and we'll see what the offense looks like against Louisville. Right, because this is, I, again, I can understand the case to be made of, well, this is a winnable game against Virginia Tech. Phil Dracovic played decently well in the first half against North Carolina. Let's put him out there to try to win a game. We still want to be bowl eligible. We've got goals. And so let's go with the guy that we think will make the fewest amount of mistakes. Well, that's now out the window. This team isn't going to make a bowl. This team isn't going to achieve really anything this year. It's going to be a 12-game season. They're not going 5-1 and one the rest of the way. Uh, they're, they're not finding five more, or 5-2, and two, excuse me. It's just not happening. So, as you said, uncork it. Let it fly. And we saw that last time that Pat Narduzzi had a bad season, a, a season where they didn't win a bowl. And that led to putting in Kenny Pickett, who went on to beat the second-ranked Miami Hurricanes in a game that where they had the same attitude of, what do we have to lose? We're not going to a bowl game. Let's just let's play, and let's put in this freshman from New Jersey, Kenny Pickett, and let's just let it roll, yeah. and it works out. So obviously that can work. It seems like Pat Narduzzi understands now 
that a change needs to be made. Multiple changes need to be made. And I think that's what so much of the, where so much of the frustration came was that it seemed like he didn't think the changes needed to be made after the Cincinnati game, after the West Virginia game, after the North Carolina game. He didn't seem, at least publicly, make it known that he acknowledges how bad the offense is. And he finally, in his post-game press conference, commented on that. He said, quote, I'm going to reevaluate where we, where we are. I see a lot of things that need change on offense. We had nine first downs. It's hard to win a football game when you have two explosive plays, and that's all we got. Then he goes on talking about how it's his job to fix it and all that. Finally, Pat Narduzzi is at least publicly expressing that this offense is bad. And again, not even commenting on who the offensive coordinator is or personnel changes or even who the quarterback is necessarily. But it is clear that changes have to be made. And finally, Pat Narduzzi is making that known to the media, to the fan base, that he understands that. And hopefully with the week off, with two weeks, they can actually make those changes. And who knows? Maybe we see a new offense coming in in that Louisville game. Maybe this team, now that they have nothing to lose, can actually change some things up. But finally, the glimmer of hope is that Pat Narduzzi at least has publicly made it known that he sees how bad things are. What do we know about football coaches? We know that they are stubborn. Mm-hmm. We know that sometimes they have belief to a fault, but they want to they want to see and they believe with everything they have that their plan, their system, their formula works. If they didn't believe that and almost at times believe it to a fault, then they wouldn't be very good coaches, right? You have to have your convictions as a head football coach. And, you know, Pat Narduzzi, I mean, definitely to this point, I I think has believed, hey, we've made mistakes here and there. We can clean things up and what we want to do can still work because at times this offense has worked. And he's seen, you know, Phil Dracovic play great football against his very team when he was at Boston College. He's seen the Panthers have great offensive games last year. He saw Izzy Abanacan have six touchdowns against Virginia Tech. Like, he has proof of performance in the past he has seen. Um, So, you know, I don't think any coach would be quick to, you know, abandon what they've come to know or abandon what they went into battle with this season because, you know, they don't want to admit they're wrong or they they have to have their convictions and their self-belief or they wouldn't be very good coaches. Um, But that is what that post-game quote says to me is that, you know, at all times you have to eventually come to a realization of, you know, we stick with this or we go away from it. And, and Pat Arduzzi, I think has clearly uh, come to that determination here. One thing that I think I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen already, and maybe we will see it after the bye week. They just need some time to implement it is the wildcat. You know, we've seen the wildcat as just something to give a boost to this offense a couple of times in recent years, Rodney Hammond Jr.'s run it very well. They did it against Western Michigan when Nate Yarnell was in last year. Izzy ran it. Um, They've used that in their repertoire before. And I thought even like a couple of weeks ago against North Carolina, that could have been a wrinkle they threw in against a top 25 team, uh, a a game where you knew you needed to run the football to possess it and keep it away from Drake May. But you also wanted to throw something at them maybe they weren't expecting to try and get an edge in a game where you were the underdog. And we haven't seen that yet. So I'm thinking that maybe that is something that's still on the table and they're going to try and implement over the bye week here that we could see against Louisville um, just as a means of finding some additional ways to get the ball in their best players or one of their best players hands at Rodney Hammond, but just to switch some things up so that the defenses can't tee off on the offense the way they have in the offensive line 
uh, to throw another wrinkle out there and, and keep teams guessing and hopefully provide a spark that they've been looking for. Yeah, it's it's just so clear that changes need to be made. I'm hopeful that they're coming. They've got time to implement some of the things like you just mentioned. We'll see if it happens come two weeks. I, I want to talk about the defense just for a moment because obviously a lot of the criticism is on the offense. They have been bad. And that is the reason largely that they're one and four. But Virginia Tech is not a good offensive team. They scored 17 points against Purdue, 16 points against Rutgers, 17 points against Marshall. They should not have been able to put up 38 points against the Panthers. Not to mention, they didn't even have their starting quarterback play. They had a backup, Kyron Jones, who looked more like prime Michael Vick out there. In I that was thinking, he looked like prime Cam Newton to me. Okay, that were, I was sticking with the Hokies thing, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, but I'm saying the size and all yeah. of it. He looked incredible. He had he was 12 for 19, 228 yards passing. He had 41 yards rushing, five touchdowns, either airing it out or on the ground. This guy looked incredible. Now, I don't know, maybe he is. Pitt has had bad luck with some quarterbacks who they face, backup quarterbacks who come in, end up looking incredible, and in some cases going on, to be excellent football players. We just saw it at, at Tennessee. Hendon Hooker's doing a great job. But I'm not sure that this is exactly that case. I'm not sure that Pitt should have allowed 38 points from Virginia Tech. There were apparently 26 missed tackles officially in the game from the Pitt defense. So as much as a lot of people talk about the offense, deservedly so, Pat Narduzzi's a defensive guy. Randy Bates is is the defensive coordinator, and they have done a great job with his defense for the last few years. That has been the thing that they, that they hang their hat on. But so far this season, and particularly in this game, the defense has just not been close to good enough. The tackling certainly was something that I saw on Saturday. Uh, a lot of players for Virginia Tech running free in the second level and, and just not being able to be brought down. Um, I thought that to their credit, I talked about this on the post game on Saturday night. I, I thought that Virginia Tech's offensive coordinator, his name's uh, escaping me right now, but I thought they called a really good game. I, I thought really they agree. put drones in some really good situations. They maximized the weapons that they had. They knew exactly where to exploit Pitt, and they did a good job of that. So you got to give a tip of the cap to an extent and give credit where credit is due. Um, you mentioned 38 points. I think that coinciding with that number two is, 38 minutes on the field. Yep. Uh, they were overexposed because the offense couldn't uh, possess the ball and remain on the football field. And that, and that put the defense out there for longer than they'd like to be. And as we know, the longer a defense is out there, the more opportunities there are for mistakes, missed assignments, complacency, or just overall fatigue to set in. So I think coupled with being on the field for that long, Virginia tech doing a really good job of uh, exploiting where they knew they could exploit. And the other thing too, that I think we need to take into account, they lost a lot of players uh, or they lost some really good players from last year's team. Kalaja Kansi. Uh, they lost uh, some defensive ends like Haba Baldonado. Uh, they lost a linebacker in Servasia Dennis. They lost two starting safeties in Eric Howlett and Brandon Hill, all guys that were very, very good players that you know, not only were sure tacklers and experienced and smart players, but they made splash plays. They got interceptions. They got, you know, strip sacks. They they returned uh, fumbles and interceptions for touchdowns. And now they have a new crop of guys that, yes, were recruited to be the next uh, batch of pit defenders. 
but you know, Rome wasn't built in a day and, and guys don't come in and immediately, you know, unless you play at Alabama or Georgia and you're a five-star that's going to be in the NFL for 10 years, you know, guys don't come in and immediately be able to pick up where guys like that left off. We would like for them to be picking it up quicker and for them to be, be able to do that, but it just hasn't been the case and hasn't come to fruition here. So I think this is a case of a defense where a lot of these guys are taking on these biggest expanded roles for the first time this year. Uh, I think that, you know, they come back next season and they're a year under their belts. We could be talking about a different defense. It was kind of a perfect storm against Virginia tech. They of course faced a really good quarterback in Drake may that carves everybody up like that. Um, but they got a young group that needs to, that just needs to play, you know, and get experience. And, and that's what they're unfortunately getting on the fly here right now. I will say though, like, we have not seen this unit make the splash plays we've become accustomed to seeing pit defenses recently make. Uh, the defensive line is still up there in the country in, in sacks and, and tackles for loss, but they're getting run on more than we've seen from recent pit teams. So they're pretty porous in the running game. And they're not necessarily like feasting on opposing quarterbacks like we've become accustomed to seeing. Like there have been recent pit teams that were just quarterbacks were under siege and you did not want to play pit. And you knew that they were good for five sacks at least the night. That unit, this unit is not that. And guys are going to have to grow up or guys are going to have, they're going to have to switch some things up and maybe get some of those younger guys to replace uh, some of the guys, the older guys that are finally getting their turn. If you know what I'm saying, like the more, yeah. the more highly recruited pedigree guys that are still down farther on the bench. And then we're not seeing the splash plays either. You know, we're not seeing, you know, MJ Devonshire get pick sixes and Marquez Williams return stuff for touchdowns and the safeties make those kind of plays. I think those are plays that come with time that come with reps and experience. Like, Hey, I know when they throw this bubble screen or this pass here, I can jump this because I saw it three weeks ago against this team. That's stuff that has to develop over time. And this unit just hasn't played enough football and is learning on the fly. Eventually we'd hope they can make those plays, but I think all those are reasons coupled of why, you know, the defense hasn't been up to necessarily the caliber we have become accustomed to seeing. It's just, Guys are young and they're green and they're learning how to play on the fly. Yeah. And I think I was a little bit more pessimistic than most people going into the season when it came to the defense or hesitant, I would at least say, because this team lost a ton of phenomenal talent last year. Yeah, they did. And yeah, so many talented guys. And I think a lot of people talked about, well, we've seen them lose talent before and replace it. They just churn in guys and, and turn them out. And everyone seems to be amazing. And that's been true and credit to, to Narduzzi and to Bates, but it's far from guaranteed. There are going to be seasons where they're going to be growing pains. And I think that's what this is. I, look, I mean, I have a perfect example right here. And we talked about Pat Narduzzi standing by guys earlier, earlier in the, uh, in the show here, Eric Hatlett was, abused by Western Michigan by Sky Moore and Corey Crooms and, and that quarterback Salop. I mean, they feasted on Eric Hallett. Yep. He went on to be a great, great safety a year and a half later when he ended up leaving Pitt and, and moving on to try and pursue the NFL. He was a guy who was taken over for DeMar Hamlin, who was a great, great safety. And it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen right away. He had to take those lumps he had to go through that, and unfortunately, that affected Pitt in that game, and they lost that game when, you know, that was disappointing at the time. But he learned, he got better, and then what they? I think 
when they faced Western Michigan in Kalamazoo the next year, I think Hallett was one of the guys who made some big plays in that game. Mm -hmm. It's all learning experience. It's learning from your mistakes. It's growing from that. And that's what we're seeing with this new defense now. Like this isn't a new predicament that they're facing. It happens to every team every year. It's just how quickly are those guys able to catch on? How quickly are they able to adjust? Some guys have those trials early and are able to use them and turn into great players later, like Eric Hallett. Other guys, it takes a little bit longer, but you hope eventually that it has the same result as Hallett did. Yeah. And this year in particular, just especially because they had so many guys last year who graduated yeah, left like, the program. It, it was like eight starters or something like a, that. It it's crazy. like three defensive linemen. It's some linebackers. It's two safeties. And then it's all the rotational guys. Yeah. It's they, they lost so much talent. And because of that, I'm not too worried about the defense. I would be if this year mattered more, but this year is gone for all intents and purposes. They're not accomplishing much of anything this year unless they pull off the super weapon and, and some huge victory, but they're really not. Which they will. They which always do. They do unless we expect them to do it, in which case they won't. It's like reverse yeah. psychology. Yeah. So, but outside of that, this is not a team that's going to compete for an ACC championship. It's not a team that's going to play a bowl game realistically. So I'm not so worried about the defense because I can see more in the long term when it comes to that. Even the offensive line, because of the injuries and because of that turnover, I, I understand why there are problems there. And it doesn't bother me so much because I know that the linemen out there who are struggling, they're going to grow and they're going to yeah. get better. That just happens in college football. The one thing I had to go all the way back to the beginning that is so frustrating for me is that at the quarterback position, you're playing a sixth year senior. He's not going to grow. He's not going to be the quarterback of the future. So at least if we're going to be seeing a team that's full of mistakes, that's that's growing, that's going to it's all about experience this year and next year they're going to get back to the way things were, I'm fine with having one off year. I that's completely reasonable in college football. It happens. It's cyclical. But then at least give me talent that I can see is going to be really good. And I can see it in the defense and I can see it a little bit in the offensive line. But so far, we haven't even really been given the option to see it at the quarterback position. That's the frustration in terms of even outside of this year, just looking long term. I don't know what the plan is there. I know what the plan is on defense, and and I trust the process, for lack of a better term. I'm not trusting much when it comes to quarterback. Yeah, and that's and that's what we might see play out here over the next two weeks or so before Louisville is they are probably going to take a deep dive into that and, and ultimately make a decision. And knowing Pat Narduzzi, if they do make a change, we won't know until no. <laughs> they run out of the tunnel, you know? So we'll have a lot of time to sit on that just because of the nature of his gamesmanship and, and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I would say that about the defense. Like it may not be up to the standard we've come to expect from the pit defenses, but we don't have to look that far back in the past to, to think to ourselves, okay, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel and and there was previous guys who went through growing pains and they turned out to be all right too. I think another portion of that uh, conversation on the defense is that we are starting to get in that situation where, and this is especially affects Pitt because we've had a lot of guys that had COVID years that had eligibility yeah. hang around. This is a very old team over the last couple of years. I mean, Kenny Pickett was very old two years ago. They had defensive players who were very old last year. We're getting, I think this is probably a larger thing that maybe other teams are seeing around college football, but I think we're seeing things start to level off and get back to normal in terms of the COVID years, the eligibility, 
And especially with this defense, I mean, there's still some guys like Marquez Williams is uh, an old man in college football <laughs> standards. He is an AARP card holder in terms of college football <laughs> eligibility. He has been here a long, long time. I don't know what that makes me. I just turned 30. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you're not, you're not playing college football That's and have, have been since, uh, you know, uh, forever like Marquez Williams has, but I, you know, we had in the recent years on this pit team, there were fifth year guys, six year guys, guys who played like 40 games of, of college football to this point or something like that. And now those guys are starting to get phased out. And now it's kind of getting back to how things used to be or, or were before where here comes in a red shirt sophomore. Here comes in a red shirt freshman who has played, you know, seen action in 10 games, but started one and stuff like that, you know? So that could be another factor. And, and I'm, like I said, I'm not sure if that's a, a larger scale thing that's happening around college football, but it's kind of something you can look at Pitt and say, well, that does make kind of sense that those were very old players that are no longer here that have played a ton of football. And now it's kind of just getting back to how things always were and always have been now that a lot of those COVID years and that extra eligibility is getting phased out. That's a very fair point because it was not at all uncommon for programs, good programs, to have a down year. It just works out where you have an incredible senior class and then they all graduate, they're out of eligibility, and you're playing a younger team and it's going to take time. It hasn't happened in, in part because you've had players who stay for five, even six years, and then also it hasn't been this bad. So before we wrap things up, I do want to have a, a conversation about Pat Narduzzi. This team is one and four. They should be arguably four and one, maybe even five and oh, I would say four and one. I think North North Carolina is very good. I wouldn't have expected Pitt to win that game, even if they had say Keaton Slovis on the team. But I think West Virginia was a winnable game. Cincinnati was a winnable game. And this Virginia tech game was certainly winnable. So instead of being four and one or even three and two, they are one and four. The season is pretty hopeless already at this point. They lost to one of the worst teams in the ACC, which makes Pitt one of the worst teams in the ACC. Right now, the only team that I think you can say is definitively worse than Pitt is Virginia. I don't think you can say that Boston College is worse than Pitt. You certainly can't say Virginia Tech is worse than Pitt. You might have before the game, but you can't now. You can't say Wake is definitively worse than Pitt. I mean, Pitt is at the bottom of the ACC, a place that is very unfamiliar territory for all involved. This is shaping up to be the worst season the Panthers have had since 1998 when they won two games, they went two and nine that year. Looking at the schedule, there aren't many possible wins left. Again, maybe there's something that we don't see coming. It often happens, but we can't possibly predict it. But outside of the wake forest game, the Boston college game, I'm not sure there's another win on this schedule. The team has had problems. They've been undisciplined at points. The, body language of the team did not look good. They didn't look motivated at large points of that game. They just looked kind of out of it. Overall, it seems like the entire team understood how bad things are. I believe I was looking at the, the SP projections. This was the biggest underachievement of the week pit, the, the expected Ooh. projection compared to what actually happened in college football. So not great. It just overall Pat Narduzzi, in many cases, he has led well-coached teams. They've been disciplined, and yeah, he's got his flaws. There are things with timeouts and all that, but generally, they're motivated, they're hungry, they're out there, and they at least win the games that they're supposed to win. 
And that hasn't happened this year. And again, that is rare. That's a rare situation when it comes to, to a Pat Narduzzi led team, but that seems to be the case this year. They don't seem that hungry. They don't seem that motivated. They don't win the games they're supposed to win. And all of a sudden they're looking at a season that could be two or three wins. This is unfamiliar territory. And Pat Narduzzi is for, again, in unfamiliar ways, things are not looking good for him this year. Certainly not is not the season that they were hoping for. I mean, that is to put it uh, pretty lightly. Um, but when I look at, at Pat Narduzzi in his tenure here, I, I first think that Pat Narduzzi in terms of a, a style and attitude, a, a fit with coach to city to program to university. It's hard to pin down a, a coach in college football. that kind of fits the vibe of a program more than Pat Narduzzi. Am I right about that? Oh, like, absolutely. He is so, Italian American, yeah. blue collar, like uh, Rust Belt type of guy. He's loud. He, he's stubborn. And yes. I'm saying this lovingly with everyone from Pittsburgh, living yeah. in Pittsburgh, all that. He is so fitting for Pittsburgh. He really is. Yeah. Like underdog, underdog uh, mentality that is like proven to work really well for his teams. And we talked about the super weapon firing. Like they have pulled off some very big wins under Pat Narduzzi. I think part of that is because of the. Uh, you know, the the mentality and the attitude of their coach. Yeah, this season has not gone the way that they had planned. And they have an opportunity to fix some things and hopefully right the ship. And and who knows, maybe go on a run here to close the season and then everything is turned around and there's some renewed optimism. But look, Pat Narduzzi is, you got an extension two years ago. I, I think that the brass of the university has faith in Pat Narduzzi. I think Pat Narduzzi has built something really good in this program. And like you said, college football is cyclical. Like you can't expect Pitt to go nine and three until the end of time. You, I'm sure that there will be a time in the future where the University of Georgia goes, you know, two and ten. Probably not in the near future. But could you imagine their boosters if slash when that happens? <laughs> yeah, I can. But uh, you know, it is cyclical. Everyone's entitled to have an off year, a down year. But I think Pat Narduzzi has built enough cachet, not only as being just a great face of this program, the way he puts guys into the NFL. He has started to recruit very well. And, and you know, yeah, the season hasn't gone the way they have planned, but maybe the pitch to recruits now is you're the guy we need to get back to where we want to be type of thing. Um, but he also won an ACC championship two years ago. And I know he had Kenny Pickett, but let's not hold that against Pat Narduzzi. He recruited Kenny Pickett right. to come here. So he recruited Jordan Addison to come here. You know, there were two big stalwarts of that team, along with some of the other guys that left the team last year to go to the NFL. So I think Pat Narduzzi has really built a program here. Uh, guys don't get in trouble. They are largely disciplined on the field, except for some stuff we've seen this year. But um, he has done a lot of good things here. I don't think anyone fits their job in Power 5 football or in Division One college football more than Pat Narduzzi does. He's won a conference title in a conference where it's almost seemed insurmountable if you weren't Clemson or Florida State. And he's been able to do that. He's the only exception to the rule. He has the second most wins in this conference since he got hired behind Clemson. Like that is a, that is a feather in his cap that no one else can claim to have. And they have brought stability to this program here. So yeah, this has not gone as planned. This is not the season that everyone envisioned, but I think that Pat Narduzzi is the guy here in Pittsburgh. I think he fits Pittsburgh, uh, the culture and the team. And I, I'm excited to see, you know, what they can figure out here over the final stretch of the season. 
and maybe make some magic happen. Um, but I, I think it's no secret that I'm a Pat Narduzzi fan. Uh, I think a lot of people are Pat Narduzzi fans, even if there are some things that might rub people the wrong way. Yeah. I love his brutal honesty. I love his attitude. I like him as a guy uh, from, you know, my personal interactions with him. Uh, I think he is the guy here in Pittsburgh and, and I look forward to seeing how the Panthers figure this thing out. Yeah. I, I had um, uh, obnoxiously pit girl on my, on this podcast a couple weeks ago and she said what people say online and sort of a term of term of endearment about Pat Narduzzi, which is, He's a Jagoff, but he's our Jagoff. And that is generally the feeling when it comes to Pittsburgh and Pat Narduzzi is, yeah, there are some things like a family member that make you want to bang your head against a wall, but it sort of comes from a place of love and respect and admiration. And in general, I completely agree. And I'm in agreement that teams are entitled and should expect to have a down year every now and again. I don't think it should be this down. I understand that the schedule this year is actually very difficult. They drew the short straw Louisville. I was talking about it on, on another podcast on the fans first sports network, college football feed about how they can win nine games this year because they have a very easy schedule, but eight, at least eight wins, but Pitt just has a difficult schedule. They have teams like Louisville. Who's now ranked. They've got Notre Dame. They've got Florida state. They've got Duke. Syracuse is pretty good. North Carolina already on the schedule. So Pitt has a difficult schedule, but you should still be able to win the quote unquote easier games, the Cincinnati's, the West Virginia's, the Virginia Tech's, so that you can afford to lose games against more difficult opponents, which I think is frustrating. And to me, the big thing is the offense. I trust Pat Narduzzi when it comes to defense. I trust a lot of things about the program. I don't trust the offense. He got it right for a couple years. He recruited, as you said, Kenny Pickett, Jordan Addison, Mark Whipple was the offensive coordinator, all that. But for the most part, this has been the one struggle in Pat Narduzzi's tenure is finding an offensive coordinator who can get the job done. A lot of cases, it just hasn't been the right guy. He's gone through many offensive coordinators and he just hasn't been able to find it. And as you said, who knows, maybe Frank Signetti can turn it around, but there are certainly frustrations that even though I I completely understand and I'm in agreement that they're going to be down years and there's going to be turnover and the offense is going to struggle and the schedule is difficult and all that. And and I'm by no means calling for Pat Narduzzi for any head coaching change or anything like that. It's one down year. Give him next year. Let's see what he can do with it. Let's see if he can turn this program around because I think there's a decent chance that he can. But this year, even by down year standards, is ugly. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no easier way to put it than that. Uh, it, it it definitely has been disappointing here through five games. Uh, on the offensive note with Pat Narduzzi, you know, we saw an offense before where they weren't explosive enough, where they weren't high-flying enough for the modern-day era of college football. That was the Sean Watson offense that ran for a ton of yards and, and did get them to an ACC championship, um, but ultimately wasn't what you needed today and at the time could maximize the talents of their quarterback he did recognize that and made the switch to Mark Whipple. Uh, I don't know what he's going to do this offseason or what he's going to do even over the bye week here or moving forward. But Pat Narduzzi is not a, he's not a dumb coach. He is not a, a stupid guy. He understood, he can recognize, you know, what works in college football, what doesn't. And listen, he may have, you know, reverted back to a, a different offensive scheme or one that's a little more conservative than what they had previously. 
Um, but if the charge for Pat Narduzzi is, hey, we need to open things up here, um, I think he could decide that over the next week or so, and, and we might see a different offense come out against Louisville here because Pat Narduzzi knows what kind of defense, what kind of offense he doesn't want to have to defend. Right. And he knows what kind of offense has worked in the past. And at this point, you should probably just try everything out. Like we said, throw caution to the wind, say screw it, and open things up on the offensive side and, and throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, because ultimately we know Pat Narduzzi has said he spends about 80% of his time on the defense. We know that he's generally hands-off when it comes to the offense. But he needs to, for the sake of this team, for this program, be a little bit more hands-on, at least in terms of getting Frank Signetti, getting Jerkovic, or whoever's at quarterback, to, to be on a different page and be on the same page, but have it be a different one than it is now in that things have to change. And what is happening now, it's, it's ugly. It's embarrassing. It cannot be the offense for the rest of the season. And now's the chance to change it on this bye week. So Kale, before we let you go, I've got to ask if, if this were, if you were the czar of pit football, if this were the NCAA football video game, which is coming back next year. I know we're all looking forward to it. Oh, I'm pumped. I'm still playing my old one from 14. Oh, I, I got rid of my old uh, console. I wish I could play it. I miss it. So let's say you're playing that, and you are now in control of a program. You're the head coach. You're the recruiter. You're all of that. You've got to turn things around. Your team's one and four. They've lost three very winnable games. The season's looking ugly. You've got a bye week. You've got a chance to fix some things, both going in, to the Louisville game in two weeks for the rest of the season. And then also you're obviously going to need a turnaround next year because this season is going to be again, probably the worst in this century, the worst since 1998. What is it that you do to turn this season around and to turn the program to get them back to where they were even just last year? Well, I think I'll probably go to old reliable if I was playing the video game and I would turn it off and turn it back on again and restart <laughs> the dynasty season, uh, you know, and act like act like the games I played at this point hadn't happened. Um, no autosave. No, turn autosave off. Yeah, turn off autosave. No, you know, I, I think first things first, um, exactly like we've talked about a lot to this point, um, I would try and add some new wrinkles to this offense throw a lot of stuff against the wall and see what sticks. We mentioned the wildcat. I think that could be something that could uncork some things or at least take a little bit of pressure and heat off this offense. They've used it in the past. They used it as recently as last year. So add that back into the fold again and see if that can give you some life on the offense. Um, you know, I might go to the settings and I might turn off injuries and try to get some of my horses back on the offensive line yeah. and get get a Bengali Kamara back there at outside linebacker as well. In terms of a bigger picture thing, um, you know, this is about guys needing to develop. I think, especially on the defensive side, looking there. I mean, this is about well, offensive line too, like you mentioned, like Ryan Bear, like uh, you know, Branson Taylor. These are guys that are seeing their first big opportunities. They need to develop, and the same thing on the defensive side. So it's a lot of ways just playing out this season and letting those guys get that seasoning and gain experience. What we've seen in college football, one of the big ways you can turn programs around and get programs back on track is with the transfer portal. And, you know, I think that that's something that this offseason, especially with, you know, Pitt has the new NIL uh, collective in place, Alliance 412. They're doing some great, great stuff here in Pittsburgh. I think you go to the transfer portal and you turn over every stone, uh, you know, open every cupboard, see what you can find in terms of getting some guys that can come back in here and 
revitalize this thing, uh, bring in some new faces, guys that can come in and contribute right away, especially on the defensive side, but maybe even some extra weapons on offense too. Um, and then, you know, with the quarterback situation, yeah, like he, I, Pat Arduzzi is going to make a decision here and he might stick with Phil Dracovic because he thinks they give him the best chance to win. But I think the other thing moving forward for Pitt is, you know, maybe they need to develop that next quarterback. Maybe they, they need their next Kenny Pickett, you know, when they look ahead here the next couple of seasons. Maybe it's getting back to homegrown quarterback play because a lot of schools go to the transfer portal and they bring in these quarterbacks for one-year rentals and stuff, whether it's, you know, Keaton Slovis or, you know, we've seen a, a, a bevy of other programs around college football. Yeah. And sometimes it works, but a lot of times when you see it in college football, it really doesn't. It's guys that have gone from this place to this place and the other. You know, maybe the Panthers, their next big charge as as a as a team in terms of recruiting, in terms of, the, of, of player personnel development, is developing the next great pick quarterback in-house and letting that guy grow here in Pittsburgh. Couldn't agree more. I think we saw the recipe for success. It was Kenny Pickett, and they let him take some time as a freshman. He got a little bit of playing time. Sophomore year, he kind of took his lumps. Junior year, he took a step forward. Then obviously we know what happens later. So pretty good last year. Pretty yeah, pretty good final year. And so I, I think, and again, I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but to me, that is an argument of why you make a change at quarterback. Because even though Christian Veyer is a transfer, I believe he's still just in his second year of eligibility. He could be a guy that can really grow into the position. Even Nate Yarnell, try him, see what he's got. Second year eligibility. Uh, they, they've got one more quarterback. I don't think they're going to play him this year. Ty Diefenbach, they recruited. And then in terms of moving forward, yeah, go out and recruit freshmen because we've seen it in three prominent ways. Uh, I'll give him credit. Four prominent ways under Pat Narduzzi. The first one they actually did get right. That was Nate Peterman. He was a very good. Now, he did have two years. He wasn't a one-year rental. He had two years. And he did take some time to grow into it. And by his second and final year at Pitt, he was a great quarterback for the Panthers. And now he's an NFL legend. And, uh, and so we saw it, but then we saw it with Max Brown at USC coming in from USC. We saw it last year with Keaton Slovis. We're seeing it this year with Phil Jerkovic. I don't know what it is about Pitt, but it just generally doesn't work, but we know what works a little bit better because we've seen it. And that is, as you just said, developing quarterback talent. I think it is worth taking these lumps in a season, having a rough year. If you get a quarterback to be more comfortable so that in his junior season, he can take a step up. And by senior year, he can be great. I think Vayer could be that. I think Yarnell could be that. I have no idea if they will be, but I at least want to see them given the chance to become the next pit homegrown quarterback. Yeah. And, and that's not just a, a pit thing too. Like we, we look at all the success stories in college football with these transfer quarterbacks, but not everyone's Joe Burrow. Yeah. Like, LSU's had other guys that have come in and, and have not panned out uh, in the ACC. I mean, I look at like Miami, Miami's had some guys and, and, and they haven't necessarily panned out with what they've wanted. Um, there's plenty of examples of guys that come in as transfers and it just doesn't work out. It's not the fit that you thought it would be. It doesn't have the end results. Um, and it doesn't happen the other way either. You don't develop a guy and he always turns into the next, I don't know, Dan Marino. He doesn't turn <laughs> into the next, uh, you know, uh, whatever, whatever quarterback you want to throw and doesn't turn to the next Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett. It doesn't always happen that way either. It's an inexact science, as we all know. Um, so there's there's many ways to skin a cat. 
You just got to figure out what works for you and hope that you have the right guy when it's all said and done. Completely agree. So we'll see what they decide to do from here. They've got some time off. We'll see what they decide to do with it. We'll see what changes are going to be made. Pat Narduzzi said he, he wants to make changes. We don't know what they are, but we'll certainly see them in a couple of weeks. And we'll see what they can do for the remainder of this season. And then already looking ahead to 2024 to see how they can turn this program back around. Um, uh, bold, bold prediction. They're going to come out against Louisville wearing uh, Dino Cat uniforms and, uh, you know, Maybe. Navy navy blue and uh, gold. They're going to really change it up. <laughs> Maybe that's that'll be the spark that turns things around. You never know. Leather helmets. As you said, let's just throw stuff against the wall, see what sticks. <laughs> I can't wait till the, I can't wait till the next, you know, we're the next phase of throwbacks. And they're wearing the Larry Fitzgerald throwbacks that say Pittsburgh. And they have the <laughs> Dino Cat on there. Like, that's making me feel old and, and oh, pretty yeah. dystopian about the future. But, um, you know, everything's cyclical, like you said. Yeah, when people start saying those are the good old days when Aaron Donald was playing, wearing the block pit. and LaShawn yeah. McCoy, Darrell yeah, Rivas. Absolutely. Oh, God, I already feel old. Uh, Kale Berger, thank you so much for joining me. Please tell, tell the listeners where they can listen to you, where they can watch you, all that good stuff. Yeah, so you can give me a follow on Twitter at Kale underscore Burger. You can check me out on 93.7 The Fan here in Pittsburgh, uh, whether you're in here in the market or on the Odyssey app. If you're outside of Pittsburgh, you're a Pitt fan. But, yeah, fifth season here on uh, the Pitt Football Radio Network, uh, doing studio hosting, halftime, post game. You hear me with uh, Bill Hillgrove, uh, Pat Bostic, Larry Richard, Doran Dickerson, all the guys. So uh, we got seven games left guaranteed this season. So tune in Saturdays. Uh, we got a great broadcast, and then uh, you can hear me on 93.7 The Fan, you know, throughout the week, weeknights, weekends, and then uh, here in the Pittsburgh market on Channel 11, uh, the final word on WPXI on Sunday nights. And uh, absolutely incredible uh, listens in multiple cases, especially as part of the, the Pitt Football Radio broadcast, the entire Pitt Football Radio broadcast. I think Pitt fans are aware of how fortunate they are to have so many excellent people on the radio feed, yourself included. And then Thank of you. course, uh, you know, all the big names that we know, Hillgrove, Bostic, Dickerson, uh, you know, all, all the incredible people. And I, I think people are aware of, of how fortunate they have it. Cause it is, it is a phenomenal radio uh, broadcast. Yeah. It, it's a great group of guys. Um, Doran and, and Bostic, great insight. And I do not uh, take for granted working with the legend, Bill Hillgrove either in his 50th season unreal how he's able Crazy. to do it absolutely incredible uh so that will do it for us in this episode we will be back next week with a new episode of football unscripted just uh, talking about where things are with this program at the moment we'll be back later this week talking pit volleyball olympic gold and blue panthers and the pros we've got all of that coming up right here on the pit talk network be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts just search for Pit Talk Network and subscribe. You can also follow on Twitter on Blue Sky, Pit Talk Network. You can find me at Corey E. Cohen. Uh, thank you so much for listening, everyone. We'll be back later right here. Uh, for my guest, Kale Berger, I'm Corey Cohen, signing off from Football Unscripted on the Pit Talk Network.